You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Amen. Hey, good morning, citizens. How are you? We're all right? Well, my name is Josh Patterson, and uh, I serve as a pastor on staff at the Village Church. I've been there almost 20 years, and uh, I want you to know how much I deeply love your church and consider it a real high honor to be here. I've, I've, I've been invited, I think, just about every year that you have been a church, which as of last weekend was four years, so happy birthday. Uh, and I, I trust y'all celebrated. Did y'all celebrate last weekend? Oh yeah, great, kind of, okay. Sounds like it was raucous, that's awesome. Um, well, I, I love your leaders, I love being here. My heart is deeply encouraged. Uh, you know, I, I have the opportunity, a lot of the families here and folks here uh, I've known for a long, long time. So for me to be here is to come to a place where I know that I'm cared for, and I know that I'm loved, and, and I get built up. And so I just want to thank you for that. It really is a joy uh, to be with you. I want, to, I want to share a story with you. Natalie and I, Natalie's my wife, we have four kids, and uh, our, our oldest is going to be a senior, not going to be, she, I'm in denial, she is a senior. And... Um, she started her senior year uh, just this past week, and then I've got a ninth grade boy and then seventh and fifth grade girls. But Natalie and I were able to take uh, what I'm just calling a gospel adventure to Egypt with our oldest two earlier this summer. And man, what a, what a wild, crazy, amazing time we had. We, we went to host basketball clinics and invite in folks to have the chance to share the gospel with them. And we spent time with Sudanese refugees and put, put on basketball camps and, and shared the gospel and love on kids who were displaced from war-torn country. It was unbelievable. It was humbling. Uh, it was powerful. Not only that, my kids got to play in some friendly matches against some uh, Egyptians in basketball. We went to the pyramids, went to the museums. We did a, a cruise down the Nile River. We went to an orphanage. I mean, it was epic. The trip ended... Uh, with an opportunity for us to fly out of Cairo to a place called Sharm el-Sheikh. And uh, we went to Sharm el-Sheikh and hiked Mount Sinai. And that's how we ended the trip. And, and what even made Sinai epic is we left uh, the hotel around 8.30 at night, and we got to Sinai about 1 in the morning, and then we hiked up for the next 3-4 hours and got to the summit about 4.30 in the morning. And I'm there with Natalie and two of our kids, and we had 16 students with us and nine adults, and we were there in the pitch black and just waiting for the sun to rise over a place where my story is grafted into that story. And the sun rose, and it was spectacular. I mean, we worshiped, and we prayed, and we walked through the Word, and we just lingered for several hours, and it, it was just one of those things that I, I looked around and thought, this is unbelievable. And then I had this thought um, and this feeling, and my guess is some of you have had the same thought and this same feeling. As, I, as I'm looking out, I'm like, dang, Moses, he was here. He was like right here-ish. And I, the way that I, I felt was like he's actually, I'm standing where he stood. That's, that's how I pictured myself in the story. And then I thought, man, how great would it have been to have been there? Like to see it, to see the burning bush but not consumed, to see the waters part, to see the pillar by fire uh, at night and the cloud by day, just, just to witness it. And if I had witnessed it then, then I bet my faith would be stronger. If I had seen it, then I bet my doubts would dissipate. 
If I had only been there, I mean, how could I then, you know, kind of walk in, in kind of a teetering way? If I had just seen it, maybe you've been to Israel or had some experience like that, or you've just wondered in your heart, man, if I had just been with Jesus, I mean, if I could just kind of feel his hands and see the scars, what would that do to my faith? Certainly, it would encourage me, right? Certainly, it would, it would build me up in a way. Um, maybe the grip that I have on the world would loosen a little bit more if I had only fill in the blank. Uh, and maybe I'm alone in that thought. Uh, after the nine o'clock service, there were some folks that said, I'm not alone in that. That many of us, if not most of us, have felt that. If I had only been there, if I could have only fill in the blank. And what's crazy is that Jesus actually dismantles that argument really before it even begins. And we just read the passage together in John chapter 16, and I want you to turn there because we're going to walk through that in our time together. In John 16, Jesus dismantles that argument that that would be a better position for you and for me. But while you're turning, I'm going to set up uh, a little bit the passage that we're going to read because I think the context is really important. So in John uh, he is writing this book, this gospel, for one purpose and one reason. And he states what that reason is at the end of the book. He says this in John chapter 21, that he is writing these things so that you might believe. So that you might believe. His hope, his goal, his intent, his purpose is to point you to Jesus in such a way that you might see and believe in faith. And he's going to construct the story. He's going to construct the epistle this way, not the epistle, but the gospel this way. He's going to provide these seven signs, and then he's going to provide seven I am statements, and really that's the essence of the book. That's the first 12 chapters. The seven signs are this, Jesus turning water into wine, chapter 2, healing an invalid at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter Five. He feeds the 5,000, John 6. He walks on water, John 6. He heals the blind man in John 9. And the seventh sign, he raises Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. And then there are these I am statements, these declarative statements about the essence of who Jesus is. And he says this, I am Jesus. I am the bread of life, John 6. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14. And I am the true vine in John 15. It starts with a prologue where it introduces Jesus as the logos. Jesus is the word at the beginning of chapter one. In chapters two through 12, you have all of those seven signs. And then in chapters 13 through 17, Jesus pulls his disciples in close and it's known as the upper room discourse. It's where Jesus prepares his disciples for what is to come. 13 through 17, we're in chapter 16 of that discourse. Here's what you need to know. Just after the discourse, in chapter 18 and 19, Jesus is going to be crucified, he's going to raise, and then the book is over in 20 and 21. So these are like the last moments that Jesus has with his disciples. This is the last conversation. You can feel the, how poignant it is, how personal it is, how intimate it is. Again, this is the last supper, the last meal, the last 
conversation and Jesus pulls them in close and he begins to prepare them for what is coming. Now, these disciples up to this point, they have seen the seven signs. Not only have they seen the seven signs, they got to hear Jesus explain them. He's walked with them. Jesus has taught them. He has been around them now for three years and they just got thrown a curveball because Jesus says, hey, I'm actually gonna head out. They're like, wait, what? what? Yeah, I'm, I'm headed to Jerusalem and there I'll be crucified. And you can see this in Matthew chapter 16 and the disciples are thrown for a loop. So we're gonna pick it up right in the middle of that conversation because the disciples are thinking, no, 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 it's better if you stay. It's better if you remain. It's better if you hang out. And Jesus is saying to them, no, there is a better day coming. And we'll pick that right up in verse five of chapter 16. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, these things about his departure, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. It's for your good that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they don't believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, then you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it for you, to you. Here's what I want you to see. This is the point of the message. This is my outline. This is all I got. The helper convicts the world in hope, guides in truth, and declares and glories in Jesus. So the helper convicts in hope, guides in truth, and glories in Jesus. I want us to see who the helper is and what the helper does because Jesus said, catch this, it is better. It is a better day that you would be with the helper than with Jesus. J.D. Greer says it like this, the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. The spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. This word helper here is the Greek word paraclete. Paraclete is the combination of two words. Let me tell you what it means. It means helper. It means to come alongside with help, aid, encouragement, advocacy, intercession, comfort, support. But I want you to catch the intimacy of the word. It means to come alongside with these things, namely encouragement, support, aid, help, comfort, care. Now get this. Would it not have been enough if Jesus said, the helper, oh, he's going to give to you comfort, encouragement, support, but he's going to kind of lob it over the wall a little bit. It'll be at a distance, but it'll be there. Like you can count on it. Like you can count on that text from a friend when you need something. That, that encouragement text that comes your way that just says, hey, you got this. I'm praying for you. 
love you, hanging in there with you. But is it not different when that friend shows up in your living room and puts an arm around you and says, I'm here with you? This is the paraclete. This is the helper. The intimacy of the word itself, Jesus is saying, this is not happening at a distance. This is not happening in a genuine way from across the table. Jesus is saying, this paraclete, he is coming near. He is coming to be with you. He's coming alongside you in the fight, in the struggle. He's coming alongside you with encouragement and with help. This is the very essence and the nature of who he is. Jesus introduces the word paraclete in John chapter 14. It's used five times in the New Testament. All of them refer to the Holy Spirit except one. The other one refers to Jesus. And Jesus introduces the helper as another helper is coming. He is like me, Jesus says. He is like me. Another helper is coming. And this helper is coming to do some things. And Jesus is going to describe some things that the helper is coming to do. Namely, he is coming to convict in hope. He is coming to guide in truth. And he is coming to glory in Jesus. The first one, he's coming to convict in hope. Verse 8, and when he comes, when the helper, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning righteousness, sin and righteousness and judgment. This idea of the verb here, convicts, means to expose, to show, to rebuke, to convict. What the Spirit does is the Spirit will press upon hearts. The Spirit is not coming to convey information. The Spirit is coming for transformation. Catch that, church. The Spirit is not coming to download information to you. The Spirit is coming to transform hearts. This is what the Spirit does. He comes into the world to convict the world of sin and judgment and to reveal to the world who Jesus is. Is. He is to open eyes, give sight to the blind. He is the power behind raising the dead to life. This is what the Spirit does. Now think about this and consider it in your own life. How many of you, you knew Jesus' resume? Like you knew it. Born here, died there, lived this long, he did these things, you've got it. You've read his LinkedIn profile. You understand what he's all about. But there was a time for some of you and I pray most of you, when those words were no longer words on a page, but those were the words of life. You know what happened there? The Spirit opened eyes. The Spirit breathes life into words on a page, and they become the word of life. Black and white becomes color. 1D becomes 3D. This is the work of the Spirit in the hearts of men and women, young and old. This is what he does. And right now, right now, in this sanctuary, I pray the Spirit is pressing, that the Spirit is pressing on hearts, not with information, not that you didn't know this passage and now you really know this passage, but that the Spirit is pressing in such a way that would lead one of us, some of us, all of us to a place of transformation. Could it not happen? Yeah, it absolutely could happen. And I pray that it would. I pray that it would. Here's what I know to be true. All across this great city right now, all across this great state, all across this great country, in faithful pulpits, the gospel is going out right now, and the Spirit is quickening hearts. 
there will be men and women, boys and girls, everybody in between. There's nobody in between. I'm not even gonna say that. Boys and girls, men and women, right? We live in a weird day. Who right now, 15 minutes ago, they didn't know him. 15 minutes from now, they will. That's gonna happen. That's gonna happen. There will be hearts that will be opened to see. That is the work of the Spirit. My whole life, I grew up here in Plano, Texas. Uh, and I, I would have said, yeah, I know who Jesus is. I mean, I, I feel like I, I knew the resume. I would have said I was a Christian. It was the furthest thing from the truth. There was no evidence of that at all in my life, at all. And when I was 19 years old, I sat in somebody's living room and that person shared the gospel with me and it wasn't new information. It wasn't new content. It wasn't like, oh my, I have never heard this before. It was the same information, but it led to transformation. It was the work of the Spirit convicting my heart to see and believe and to open my eyes to a blindness that was previously there. It was glorious. It was amazing. I'm forever indebted to that reality. And here's what's crazy. Not only is the gospel going out and transforming even right now, but there are people sleeping in different time zones in the world and countries that are closed where the gospel cannot be preached and Jesus, by means of his spirit, will show up in their dreams. And he will reveal himself to them. And they will come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because this is what the spirit does. He opens the eyes of the blind. He quickens from death to life. He brings transformation. This is what he does. And it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and it's unstoppable. Praise the Lord. This is what he does. And you and I, we get a chance to participate in this work. And what I love about the Spirit is the Spirit doesn't lead me to a place of conviction and then leave me there. He leads me to a place of conviction where I can see my error, where I can see my sin, I can see the need of repentance. And because what the Spirit does is ultimately glorify Jesus and lead into the truth of Jesus, he does not leave me in a posture of conviction alone, but he starts me there and brings me to a place of reminder of my sonship. He starts in conviction and leads me to freedom. This is the work of the Spirit of God. He doesn't leave me with the hangover of shame. He doesn't leave me with the, the unaddressed or the, the heavy burdened weight of my failures. No, no, no. The Spirit opens eyes, invites into freedom, namely the freedom of Jesus Christ. I just want to stop right here and ask you, do you know this freedom? Do you know this freedom? Like, certainly you know the resume. Certainly you know the information, but has there been a transformation behind that? Have you yielded your heart to the work of the Spirit as he has invited you in? Several years ago, I, was, I preached at a, a deal in Virginia Beach. It was for a Christian school, and it was like their spiritual life week, and it was fine. Uh, I'll just be candid with you. I, I think what I preached was faithful, and, and it was fine. It was, a, it was a week. I spent four days with these folks. I couldn't tell you what I said. 
Um, outside of I know it was somewhere within the bounds of what Scripture would have me share. Four different days, four fine days. The last day I preach, I finish, it's over. It's over. I'm flying out later that afternoon. I'm sitting right down here. The principal's up. He's closing out uh, the week, leading towards dismissal. And the Spirit just nudged my heart. This doesn't always happen, but it happened then. And so I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, you had four days. I've been here for four days. Now it's awkward. It's really awkward. And he wouldn't relent. He just pressed on me. And so we're, we're a minute from dismissal, and I just kind of awkwardly made my way back up. I was like, hey, I'm so sorry. Is there, could I have like two minutes? And he's like, sure. I mean, what's he going to say? It was weird. And, um, and I came up, and I, I shared a story. It wasn't a story that was in my notes. It wasn't a story that I prepared for. It was a story about forgiveness. I bet I shared for two or three minutes. And in those two to three minutes, something broke. Something happened. It, I can assure you it had nothing to do with my messages. It had nothing to do with me. What Jesus invited me into by means of his spirit was this. Hey, watch this. And in those two to three minutes as resonance with whatever was being said started to take hold, I started to see, and this isn't always the indication of anything wonderful, I started to see prayers, and then I started to see tears, and then I started to see prayers for one another, and then I started to see students coming and asking for prayer from others, and 45 minutes of just a breakout of the Spirit, and I sat in the back, had nothing to do with it, but watched. I thought, this is amazing. It's amazing. This is what the Spirit does. Well, that was years ago, but last month I'm sitting in a room with the guys. We're walking through uh, some things regarding his life. It was a, I've done this a thousand times. But for whatever reason, the Lord decided he was going to show up on this time. And with a simple question, it turned the entire time together into something profoundly transformational. And the testimony of that guy has nothing to do with me, but had everything to do with the love of God that was lavished on him in the moment as something broke loose, moving from the ordinary to the extraordinary, from the mundane to the miraculous. Why? Because of the presence of the Spirit. This is what he does. And he doesn't just do this through professional pastors with polished messages. That's not what he's talking about here. We're going to talk about that at the end. He says this, this helper is given to you, to you, so that these things are available to you. So the invitation, church, is this. Is the Spirit pressing on you? Is he nudging you, even now? In what ways? I have no idea. I have no idea. He convicts in hope but he also leads and he guides in truth. You see this here in verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you. He will lead. He will clarify. He will lead into all truth. And catch this. The very essence of what the spirit is about, Jesus says he's the helper. He's the spirit of truth. And he will lead towards truth. It is both his essence and his function, his essence and his function. He is 
truth, and he leads towards truth. This is what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit is leading us specifically into the truths about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in the world. It's truth about Jesus's personhood. It's truth about Jesus's divinity. It's truth about the works of Jesus. The Spirit doesn't accomplish the work. He applies the work. And part of what the Spirit does is he takes us by the hand and he says, this way, I will lead you into truth. Now, truth is one of those things that is seemingly up for grabs nowadays. You've got your truth. I've got my truth. We've got our truth. And Jesus dismantles that by saying, the spirit of truth will lead towards all truth. He is the essence of truth. This is not a compartmentalized, this is not an individualized, this is not a personalized truth. This is truth in its person. The Spirit will lead you to know about truth in the person of Jesus Christ. He will walk with you. He will unpack for you. He will clarify for you. He will lead you to know who the person and work of Jesus is. So a good little litmus test for you and me is just to take a step back and assess our lives. Am I being led towards truth? Am I allowing the Spirit to guide me into the things of Jesus? Because this is what he does. This is where he's taking us. And if I could kind of look around and look at my life and assess some things, is my life ordered the way that Jesus would have me order my life? If it is, then there's a pretty good indication that I have been led there by the Spirit. And if not, then not. Then not. Because the Spirit doesn't lead towards falsehood. The Spirit doesn't lead towards decay. The Spirit doesn't lead towards sin. The Spirit doesn't lead in that direction. The Spirit takes us in this direction, namely the direction of Jesus. I told you I had an epic summer in July. I got to do uh, another adventure. I went on, on a hike. Now, for some of you, that may sound miserable. Um, and uh, certain aspects of it, it was miserable. It was a four-day hike. Uh, we spent four days in the Colorado backcountry with a group of guys that I love. And part of the gift of that week was that I was not in charge. You know that feeling? Is I feel like every day I am making decisions about this or about that, and some of the decisions can feel very consequential, and some can feel very minor. I've got four kids, and there is an incessant, relentless, persistent, unending ask of details that only the Lord knows the answers to, and it happens routinely and regularly. Um, so just to step away and to entrust myself to a trustworthy guide, man, what a gift. <laughs> what an exhale. What a way just to go, you know what? Where you lead, I will go. I don't know where we're going. You do. I, I, I don't know all the ins and outs and the routes and what we're going to have for lunch and dinner and tomorrow, what breakfast is going to look like and what time we're getting up and what time we're going to bed. I don't know any of those details. Here's what I know. You're trustworthy. And where you go, I'll follow. The Spirit of God is trustworthy. 
he can be trusted. And where he leads you, where he leads me, you and I may not understand the course, the path, but we can rest assured as we look back, oh, he's been faithful in his leadership. And I can look forward in trust knowing that he is leading me and guiding me into truth, into goodness, into beauty, into flourishing, into life, because he's leading me more towards Christ. And that's where we'll end. The Spirit glories in Jesus. The Spirit glories in Jesus, verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. Jesus says that the Spirit will declare the things of Jesus to us, that he delights in declaring. If you look in the passages in the, in the passage from this morning, how many times Jesus says that the Spirit will declare these things to you, declare these things to you, declare these things to you. The Spirit glories in declaring the things of Christ to people. He glories in declaring the things of Christ to people. What the Spirit is doing is pointing and saying, look at him, look at him, look at him, look at him. He takes our attention and our affections and our hearts and our worship and he brings it upward to say, this is your focus. He is your worship. He is the object and the affection of your faith. The Spirit gently lifts our chin to see and savor and wonder and worship the beauty of Jesus. He is declaring the things of God to you and to me and he delights in it. He revels in it. He loves it. And notice what Jesus is saying here at the end of these verses, 14, 15. He's saying the Spirit doesn't act on a solo mission, but he acts in accordance with me and I act in accordance with my Father. You see the interplay and the working of the triune God here. You see the deference and the delight in one another the beholding and the upholding of one to another. He says the Spirit doesn't speak on his own authority, but he says what is given to him, and truth and worship and glory comes to you and to me in stereo. Jesus is saying here, we are in one unified voice with one accord, with one mission, that you might see me. Well, why is it good news to see him? Well, if you don't know, I'm happy to tell you. If you've ever felt hopeless, he's hope. If you've ever felt anxious, he's peace. If you've ever wandered towards falsehood, he's truth. If you've ever felt stifled by death, he's life. If you've ever felt dirty, he washes you. If you've ever felt stuck and shackled by chains, he frees you. And if that doesn't sound good to you, then I don't know what to say that would. But this is who Jesus is. He has come that you might have life. The crazy irony of all of this is the things that we strive for and hope for and desire, the very essence of the core of who we are, that which we long to be satisfied with. Jesus is saying, that's in me. 
That's in me. And the Spirit is saying, let me take you to him. Look at him. This is my job. Take my hand. I want to introduce you to this one because he is life. And when your life is ordered in him, you find peace and life and vitality and vibrance. Do you find ease? No. But he says, as you travail through the realities of life, where is this helper? Is he across the fence lobbying encouragement over? No, 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 no. He says, I am with you. I'm with you as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I am with you, sustaining, supporting, encouraging, enabling you to take that one more step. That's what the Spirit does. This is who the Spirit is. And this is why Jesus says to you and to me, oh, it's better. The Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. It's better. You are living, Christian, check it out, you are living in the better day. I want to point out something in verse 7. So if you think about what, what then does this have to do with me? Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The spirit, the helper, isn't just floating around in the air like a cosmic mist. The spirit resides in the hearts of believers where you are, believer, there he is. So the convicting of the world in hope, the leading and the guiding in truth, the glorying and delight in declaring Jesus, how he does that is he does that in you and through you so that others might see and believe. How will they hear unless there's a preacher? How will they know unless somebody goes? How will they know unless you tell and what the Spirit is doing and what Jesus is saying is you. You're the one that I want. You, come on, and I will use you, and I will work through you, not so that you can flex because this isn't what you do. You can't. But boy, could you witness it. Can you watch in worship and wonder as I move, and will it not humble your hearts to see that I could take a broken vessel like you and like me and work wonders? miraculous wonders through you. So what role did you have to play in this? All of it. The whole thing. This is not limited to people who are up here. In fact, the whole New Testament is saying, this is your show. This is your game. This is your day. This is for you to run with, you to walk out, you to see, you to invite others into. We've got a phrase that we use at the village and it's this, you were made for the day and the day was made for you. You were made for the day and the day was made for you. You know, being on that mountain, thinking about Moses, Moses had his day, it was a great day, he had a great run. He's not here. And you could just walk through the halls of faith with gratitude for who they are and what they did, but their run is over. And now it's your shot. This is your day. This is your run. This is your season. 
This is yours to walk out with faith. You were made for the day, and the day was made for you. And all the feelings of, oh my goodness, the overwhelming feeling, I can't do this, I can't do that. It's the same thing that Moses felt, that Peter felt, and so on and so forth. And he says this, I will send a helper to you. You have a helper, you have a paraclete, one who is with you. And he will work his wonders. He will work his miracles. He will do what he does in and through you. So is your heart open and available to that? Is it? When he nudges you to take a step that could be perceived as awkward, when he nudges you to move towards somebody in a way that, uh, I don't know, I wonder if those are invitations to watch him work. I wonder how many of those I have passed on and missed. And yet he continues to invite me to take steps towards him just to see what he might do. How many of us even now might be being pressed, not with information, but towards transformation? As you came in feeling one way and now you feel the press of the Spirit upon you. And maybe that press is to lead you towards repentance knowing that at the other side, on the other end of that, is freedom, is wholeness, is cleansing, is a new start, a new day, because today is filled with new mercies. Who applies those new mercies? Spirit of God. That's who does. The Spirit applies the new mercies. So for those of you who now might be pressed by the Spirit, He's inviting you to take a step towards Him. And then I have to wonder and have to believe and I have to hope that there might be some in here, young or old, that you don't know him. That's okay. Uh, that was true for all of us at one point. But maybe today is the day when you do. Maybe today is the day when eyes are open, scales are removed. You don't have all the answers. Nobody ever does or ever will. But there's a new warmth in your heart that is leading you to take a step towards him that has maybe never been there before. And I would encourage you with everything that is in me to take that step. Come talk to somebody after this service. Come pray with somebody. The Spirit's gracious to invite. He's gracious to bring in. He doesn't leave us in a state of conviction. He uses that to press us towards transformation and leads us to a place of freedom. And it's not in this passage, but you should read Ephesians chapter 1. Because in Ephesians chapter 1, what you learn about the Spirit is the Spirit is also a seal and a guarantee of your redemption. He is a seal and a guarantee of your redemption. So if you have put your love and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, check this out, church. You are sealed forever in Him forever. Doesn't go away. Can't go away. Can't change. And he says this, that you are sealed for a future redemption that is yours. Why? Because the Spirit has put his stamp on you. You are his son. You are his daughter. His. This is the work of the Spirit. Father, I come before you and I, I pray and hope I have no idea what you might be doing in this room. I just have no idea. But I know that, that you don't need me to know. 
And so I, I just ask you, Father, for the goodness of your heart that is on full display in your son, that you would, you would move in our midst. I don't even know all that I'm asking or saying, but Spirit, I'm asking that you would open the eyes of the blind, those who don't know you, that they might come to know you this morning. Those who are walking in a debilitating sin or stuck in a cycle, Spirit, you are the one who frees them. May you press on their hearts, leading them towards transformation. Lord, I trust there are some this morning that just need the assurance just need the assurance that they are yours. As their minds and their hearts are hurried and scattered and anxious and worried and all the things that fill our hearts, we ask, Spirit, that you would settle our souls. Would you assure us that you have us and you'll keep us and you'll guide us because you love us? So, Spirit, we invite you to do what only you can do the rest of our time together. We love you and we trust you in Christ's name. Amen.